I titled this uh, message "Day Left Behind." It's kind of a trick title, and we'll get into it in a little bit. But I had—I got—I don't get—I don't get jokes a whole lot anymore. Bill seems like I don't know, but I got one this week. You guys ready for a joke? It's not a Christmas joke or anything, but it's a uh, uh, this police officer uh, pulled over a car, and he looked inside it. And this car—what was going on? Was the this the sweet little elderly lady uh, was driving 22 miles an hour, and the speed limit was 50. And he followed her for a while, and he says, what in the world? She's not going to speed up. She's not going to slow down. Just 22 miles an hour. So he says, okay, this is as dangerous as going over the speed limit. So he flips on the lights, and he gets up to the car, and he finds out there's, there's two lovely ladies in the back, and then one sitting in the passenger side, and the lady, and, and the lady was just shocked that she got pulled over. And he looked in the car, and all these sweet elderly ladies were just looking there, and they were, they were just... I mean, it looked like they were mortified. And so he said, hey, everything's okay. I just wanted to see if you're okay. You were doing 22 miles an hour, and the speed limit is 50. And, and the elderly lady looked at him and said, no, no, it's 22 miles an hour. And he said, no, honey, it's 50. And she said, no, there's the sign right there, 22. And he looked over, and he saw the sign, and it said, route 22. And so he looked at the lady and said, honey, that is the road you're on. And she just kind of, oh. And he, he, he wrote her a little sweet little ticket and, and uh, looked in the windows. He walked away and he'd come back and he says, is everybody okay in this car? You, they look so like they're scared to death. And she said, well, we just got off of Route 119. Sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> I lived in Florida 15 years. That sounds just about right. <laughs> anyway, so I get my mind back where it belongs. I hope you're all having a wonderful Christmas season. Uh, you know, I know as we uh, go out and do all the things we do, and we've got to go to uh, Assembly of God Church up in Greenwood the other night and watch a beautiful uh, performance uh, they put on called the Singing Christmas Tree. And my goodness, uh, what a wonderful performance that was and, and uh, we've got to go to uh, uh, one other place and this coming week we're going to Yule Time up in India to, to watch another Christmas thing going on and you know it's just a, it's just a wonderful time and you get to spend time we, take, we go with our families and friends and you just get to spend a, a wonderful time doing those things that you normally don't get to do and uh, it's just a wonderful time of year um, I don't enjoy the cold weather uh, but we get by amen I'm lagging here aren't I Left behind. Now, this is a Christmas story, all right? It's not a bad story. It's left behind. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of humor. We thank you for grace that allows us to live life knowing that after this uh, physical life is over, we have an eternal life with you. And Father, we, we are so grateful for that. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we just ask you to bless this message, Father, and, and Lord, that you open up our hearts and, Father, our minds and our eyes to really understand you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All through the Bible, I don't care if you're in Genesis to, to Revelation, the centerpiece, and that's what this is. This is not just a Christmas thing. I put this up here because I have a little series for the, next, this, the day and the next two weeks after. It's called the centerpiece. And, and Jesus is the centerpiece of everything. 
I mean, he's the centerpiece of the Bible. If you're, if you're Daniel in the lion's den, if you've got this turmoil in your life, Jesus sat there in the lion's den with Daniel and did not allow the lions to devour him. But later on, the wicked would be thrown in there and Daniel taken out and the lions did devour them. So Jesus is our protector. He's right there with us. If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Jesus was right there and not even smoke could get on you. He is the centerpiece no matter where you're at. He was the centerpiece of Adam's life. He was the centerpiece of Abraham's life. He was the centerpiece of Jacob's life and Isaac's life and Joseph's life. He was the centerpiece of David's life and Paul's life and John and Peter and on and on and Ruth and Deborah and Gideon. He was the centerpiece of all their lives, of Elijah and Elisha. He was the centerpiece. He was what they were studying. He was what they were living. He was everything to them. Now, as time progresses and we get into thousands of years later, it seems like we put a lot of things around the centerpiece and it starts to cloud it up and all kinds of things get put in front of the centerpiece, all kinds of weird objects, whatever it might be. And the centerpiece keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. But we can't allow that as Christians, as our families, we keep the centerpiece the center and everything else must be taken out away from that centerpiece. Nothing can take away from the centerpiece. Amen? And that's what we have to, to learn, to always keep that in our lives. Nothing. We shall allow nothing to take away of the centerpiece. As, uh, as all the things you see about the baby Jesus, and everybody came to him. He was the centerpiece, whether he was an hour old or whether he was 33 years old, he was still the centerpiece. I've got a movie cl uh, clip I'm going to show you in just a few minutes. And a lot of you know who Lou Giglio is. Wonderful pastor. And there's a five-minute clip I'm going to show you in a minute just to show you how important that the centerpiece is and that we are his centerpiece. We are his, his we are his, what, what's a good word? The grand jador, whatever, what's, what's that word? Give me, somebody give me a word of what we are. We're the magnificent of Christ. He made us in his image. We made us above the animals, above the stars, above the universe. We are his people. And he gave us something inside of us. We'll show it to you in a few minutes. So left behind, we'll get into that in here in just a few minutes, but uh, let me see here. There we go. For in him all things were created. This is out of Colossians. For in him all things were created, things in heaven... And on earth. That means everything we see, from the dirt we walk on, to everything we see was created by Jesus. It belongs to him. It is him. It's his. For all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, whether countries or governments, or powers, or rulers, or authorities, it was all orchestrated by God. Whether we can understand it or not, it was all orchestrated by God. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In other words, there's nothing before God. He is the first. He has always been. And in him all things hold together. Amen? For in him all things were created. What I just read to you in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Jesus is the centerpiece of all existence. 
His love draws us to witness his radiance, and he sits enthroned at the center of all creation. Go ahead and show that uh, clip, will you please? It's about five. You're going to really enjoy this. Some of you don't know who G- Lee Guglielos. You're in for a real treat here. Landing down last time around, we were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walks up like to me. That. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. Says, "How are you doing?" I just want to say hello. I said, "It's nice to meet you." He says, "You guys winding the tour down? Uh, where are you going to go from here?" I said, "Well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia." He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool. What are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God in the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. G- give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk. For a molecular biologist so I kind of stumbled through what I had and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like uh-huh, that's good and then he says well what's your big left hook you got to have a left hook a big finish right I said I don't have a left hook yet he said oh Louie oh man your left hook is laminin and I, I'm totally blank on laminin he goes Louie it's a cell adhesion molecule protein molecule do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. I'm like, all right. He said, no, Louie, it's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louie. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. I'm like, okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. <laughs> Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like... That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! (laughs) I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. You should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. (laughs) That's just crazy. I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? 
I'm like, oh no, man, the diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. Like, how crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by Him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And He goes on at the end of this paragraph, and He just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ. And through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things by making peace through His blood shed on a cross. Wow, huh? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to start there because before we really can get into the Christmas understanding I want you to understand how important the centerpiece is and he's he, he's he's so he does things so wonderfully that he they put that cross inside of us that one day thousands of years later after he created us we can look and see that he's always been with us amen what a wonderful wonderful savior we have I start in Matthew today because I, I want you to grasp who this, who this Jesus is, who Christ is, and, and, and what he can do for us before we really get going into Christmas. What you may think you need, and a lot of people, we've got to, we, we think we need this, we need this, we need that, all kinds of things we think we need. And if, if it's health issues, I'm sure that's right on the front of your page there, right on the front of your everything. You need this. But what you think you need may bring you to Jesus. Those are the things that, that may draw us to our Lord. But what he can deliver is far more than you can ever imagine. Amen? What he can deliver in your life is far more than your finances. It's far more than your failures. It's far more than your victories. He brings himself and to your life, implants the Holy Spirit that the word of truth can become our life. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He is my centerpiece. And in Matthew, we find Jesus, and he's with some disciples and with the crowd, and he's walking either to or from Jericho, either the new city or the old city, one or the other. 
and he comes upon some blind men. And these blind men are, are, like, are like us, are like what we used to be, are like people we may still know. And he says here, Now as they went out from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. In other words, lots of people. A big crowd was always around the centerpiece. They always were following the centerpiece. They were always following Jesus. Now Jesus has been performing miracles, and and today we either believe them as facts and and be by the eyewitnesses that stated them at the time, or we consider them all liars. It's not a fiction thing. It's It's a history book. We either consider it as, as it's written down by the eyewitnesses and the facts that they're giving us, or we don't. Or we completely ignore everything and like, act like none of this is important in our lives. As they were going out, these two blind men, it says in verse 30, And behold, two, two blind men sitting by the road. Two men holding out their hands, trying to make a living for themselves, sitting by the road, and they hear a commotion. They don't see Jesus, but they hear a commotion. And from the words and the things they're gathering in, they understand something totally different is about to take place in their life. And for maybe the first time in their life, they have an opportunity for something different in their lives. And as the commotion starts to get closer to them, you can just feel the excitement within them and they're, they're hearing the name of Jesus. Somewhere in the commotion, they're hearing this name. They're hearing the name of the Lord or, or Messiah. They're hearing something that's drawing their attention towards God. And a lot of times when we're in the, in the roughest parts of our life and, and whatever's calling us, whatever's drawing us, whatever we think we might need from God, that's what draws us to Him, and He's right there with us. And behold, two blind men sitting in the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out. This cry out is not, hey man, can you come here for a minute? Hey dude, come here, come here for a minute. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a, a people that have not ever been able to see the truth. have not ever been able to see the, the sunshine. Nothing. Completely darkness their whole life. Now see, in, in our realm, we want to look at it as a spiritual part too, not just the eyes but a spiritual realm. Many people you come across throughout the days come across and they're completely blind to who Jesus Christ is. They hear things and they think of them as, as fairy tales or, or good notions, emotions or, or good, good something. But they really don't take in the, the truth and the facts that this could be true. And they just kind of wipe it off like it's nothing. And that's exactly what evil would want them to do. And so they're, they're blind by the real truth. And they live in darkness because they've not seen the true light of Christ. And maybe they've come across a few Christians don't act like Christians. And they'll use that as an excuse not to become a Christian. Don't ever compare yourself with another person. You compare yourself with Jesus Christ. You compare yourself with me, I'll let you down. Amen? Don't you ever compare me. Don't you ever use me as an excuse. Because you're the reason you're not the Christ. So these men were sitting on this road and they cried out. I mean, cried out. Help! Help! I mean, 
mean, if, if you've never seen it in your life and you've got the, the first time in your life you see there may be some kind of hope for you, are you just going to act like it's no big deal? And just, just, well, there they go. I missed my opportunity again. No, you would be frantic knowing that you might be able to see for the first time in your life that there is a hope, a true hope, and then a purpose for your life, something more than just where you're at. See, God has so much more. You can't imagine what he has for you. His love pours out. He is our centerpiece. And if you'll just give him a moment, just a moment, he can prove it to you. So as they cried out saying, have mercy on us. Mercy is getting something you don't deserve. It's allowing you to have something you've never had. And then they, the next word is, oh, Lord. Well, Lord represents something powerful. It means it's something that you have, is a subject over you. It's just not, oh, Lord. It's, oh, Lord. They're blind. Can you imagine trying to climb up and get on their knees and stand up, not knowing who's around them, what's around them? They just know they hear this wonderful commotion, and they know people are worshiping God. They know people are worshiping that day because they're with Jesus Christ. And they stand up and they just keep crying out, please, mercy, mercy. And they say, oh, Lord. And then they say, the son of David. Now, I would imagine that grabbed Jesus' attention real quick because the son of David means Messiah. It means they believe something more than just the name of Jesus. They believe that he is the Messiah, the promised one, the one to come. Maybe believe more and more faith than anybody with him at the time. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. That's about like us, some of us. Oh, hush up, please. But they cried out all the more. You couldn't silence them because they knew the opportunity was there. The door was open. And there's the Messiah, the son of David, right in their midst. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus, with all the crowd, everything, and all the, no, the, the, the commotion, and all the, everything going on, he's walking, and everybody's around him. He's, not, he's the centerpiece of everything, and everybody's around him, and, and all around him, and he's walking, and he's heading to wherever he's going, Jericho, or wherever he's coming out, and he's walking, and he hears the cries. But I can imagine there's a lot of noise going on. And he hears those cries, and he just stops, and he stands still right there. I'll tell you, some of you, including myself, have cried out to Jesus many times in turmoil and things. And I'll tell you, he's always been right there with me. Amen? He's always wanting to give me mercy. He's always wanting to show me who he is. But if I'm not crying out for him, if I'm not pleading with him, I'm in my prayers thanking him and, and bringing, bringing my, my prayers to him, whoever it might be. He listens to your prayers, amen? Can you imagine these men have been praying for quite a while? Just praying for this opportunity, and there it is. There it is. He can't, they can't see him, but they, they hear it. There it is. 
And verse 32 is probably the, one of the most important verses I want to talk to you today about. So Jesus stood still and called them. God calls us. He calls us in the, in, the, in the radical times of our lives. He calls us. And that's the opportunity we have to allow him to do what he wants to do in our life. This question here that Jesus is about to ask is one of the most important questions that I believe he can be asked of you. So Jesus stood and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus is asking that, that identical question. It's, it's not, it's, Jesus is not saying, what do you want from me, man? What do you, you want something from me? Everybody wants something from me. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, what do you? Do you, Bill? Do you, Earl? Do you, Michelle? Do you, Josh? What do you want me, the Lord, the Messiah, who you call, who you claim I am, me to do for you what is it what is it you're wanting god to do for you are you are you are you like the 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 blind men are you do you really mean it i mean are you really engaged do you really mean it or is this just something you you may want or you may not want now say what once you're all in like these blind guys once you're engaged in this don't you think god hears that don't you know he knows the cries? Don't you know he wants to show compassion upon you? He wants to show mercy upon you? He wants to show you his love? He wants you to be the centerpiece of his life, of your life? That's what he's after. That, it, you can boil this down just to, into a little thing in your hand. He wants to be the centerpiece of your life. You can't be on the backside. He wants you to be the centerpiece of your life. And that's what a true Christian is, that you allow Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the centerpiece. That you're not putting him off somewhere in the side or, or shoving him in a closet. That he is the centerpiece every day. Sunday through Sunday. Every single minute of your life, he is the centerpiece. In this verse 33, it goes on, it says, They said to him, Lord, can you just, I mean, the desperation... He's paying, God is paying attention to you. The Messiah, right here, asking you that question. I mean, my goodness. And in your prayers right now, he's still asking, right through the words, he's still asking you, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? What is it? If you'll just, if you'll just allow me to do it for you, I will do it. But you've got me, allow me to be the centerpiece, or I cannot do it. There's people that come and, I remember a man once come and asked me for $20 for gas. Come up to the church here. Now, I could have given him a $20 bill. That's not a problem. But I, I couldn't do that. He said, well, why not? Just, aren't you going to be kind, be a good Christian? I was talking to somebody about that this morning. Yeah. The world's got the wrong definition of a good Christian. They've got their own definition that we ought to just fall down, give them everything they want, and, have, and, and, and then ask nothing from them. Just give, give, give. And if you don't give, then you're a hypocrite. That's the wrong definition. The right definition is I've, I've got something a lot more powerful than money. You may be coming here because you need gas money, but what I've got is more 
And so I couldn't give him the money because I knew that's not what God wanted me to give him. But what I wanted to give him was the truth, the gospel. And I got cussed out and screamed at and drove off because of it. He proved my point. <laughs> he proved my point. He just wanted a $20 bill. What I want to give is truth. Now, will I give a $20 bill? Amen, I'll be happy to do it if I feel like that's what God wants me to do. But if you're not willing to accept the truth, then what? Is that going to make you feel good? Is that just about you making you feel good? That's not what it's about. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. They wanted to see. And in the spiritual realm, it's that our heart may be opened. That our heart may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they what? Everybody read that last part for me. And they what? Followed him. They followed him. He became their centerpiece. When the Lord cries out to you and he calls you and he said, what? What, what would you have me do for you? And your prayer is sincere and he answers that prayer. Then he is the centerpiece of your life. And what he expects from that moment on is to always be the centerpiece of your life. See, at this time of year, if a Christian can't understand that Jesus Christ, whether he's a baby or a man of 33, he is the centerpiece of our life. If we don't grasp this, then we don't grasp the true meaning of Christmas. We was in Walmart yesterday, and Vicki was getting stuff for tonight, and uh, she said, we're having a birthday party tomorrow night. And, and uh, I heard Vicki talking to the lady, and she said, oh, birthday, well, how fantastic. She said, well, you know who we're having a birthday party for? And the lady said, well, no, I, I don't know. She said, well, what, what, what time of year is this? She said, well, it's Christmas. Well, do you know who we're having a birthday party for? Well, no, not really. She said, well, well, Jesus. And the lady said, oh, she tried to step back a little bit. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that. I just never heard of it that way. See, most people don't really have the meaning of Christmas. It's the birth of the Savior. It's being celebrated now for over 2,000 years, amen? From every nation upon this planet, except for Muslim nations, it's being celebrated. And a few communist nations. Everyone knows what Christmas is, yet few really know the true understanding of Christmas. Whether he's in the manger as this little baby, where everybody is always looking at him. See that? When he's in the manger, everybody is always facing Jesus. No matter whenever you see anything or hear anything or read anything, they're always facing Jesus. Whenever you see upon the cross, when the people came to him, whether he's on the cross or in the manger, they were facing him. He was the centerpiece. They said to him, Lord, our eyes may be open." So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the things Jesus had done, and I've done this before years ago in the church, one of the things that he always did when he came to earth is he started touching people. I mean, he just started, everywhere he went, he just started touching people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, he just started touching people. And when he touched them, they fell in love with him. He became their centerpiece. When he gave them eyes to see and ears to hear, it was a wonderful thing. Amen? It wasn't, it's just touching them and touching them. Everywhere he went, he wanted to touch people. And they accepted that. I don't know 
White people don't want Jesus to still touch them today. Just stay away. Stay away. I don't want none of that. Stay away. You allow Jesus to touch you and heal you, your lives will change. Amen? How many lives have been changed in here because Jesus touched you? <laughs> I can throw my feet up if I can get them up there. I'd do it one of them really rolls them little girls do if I could do it. He has touched me everywhere. Amen? He has touched me in my physical life. He has touched me in my spiritual life. He has touched me over and over and over again. He has touched me. He says, Paul, I just want to be the centerpiece of your life. And for years I would say, I don't know about that. How about we just put you on the left shelf or the right shelf and we'll keep me as the centerpiece? You know, I found out something. That didn't work too good. It really didn't work too good. Now, the world doesn't know this. They don't understand this. But I'm telling you, when Jesus is the centerpiece of your life, your life becomes so much more. So what you thought you needed from Jesus, that may be what you need. But he's got so much more. Amen? And at this time of year, he's got so much he wants to give. It's not about just gifts. It's about giving. Pouring out love to the world. Amen? Go ahead, please. I'm going to go back up for a minute. I wanted to go over there, all that, and the next, just going to spend a few minutes here in Luke. And what we're going to do the next couple of weeks is I'm taking Luke chapter 2 and I'm going in reverse. And, I, and it's all about the centerpiece. Everywhere you look, it's about the centerpiece. So we're going to start in Luke at the end of Luke here. And it says, Jesus was left behind, okay? He was left behind. And he was. His parents left him behind when he was 12 years old. They were out and they were going to Jerusalem for a big celebration and, and, and the, the crowds are walking out and they're all having a wonderful time and they're heading back home. And if, get down the road a good little ways and I mean it's a huge crowd. And this little time goes by and Mary starts to look around and hey Joseph, you've you seen Jesus. And Joseph, no, I, I, how many's lost a child in the shopping mall? Just, boy, you guys are blessed. Where's Brad at? Was it Brad? Brad, raise your hand. I know Brad. Just leave me alone, Dad. I think, didn't we lose you once, Brad? Yeah, we did. I think it was in Clearwater Mall, and it was right after time. How many remember Adam Walsh? They got uh, kidnapped, and his dad does the, a lot of stuff on TV now. They got kidnapped out of Clearwater Mall and ended up being uh, killed, little, little boy. It was right after that happened. We lived down in Florida at the time, and, and I wasn't there, but Vicki was there, and, and I, I can still remember the tremble in her voice when, when she told me this story, and I've heard it. And Brad was, how old was you, Brad? Three? Three or four years old? I'm not sure how the whole story worked, but I know one thing. Vicki started looking around, and there was no Brad. And the, the story of that little boy being kidnapped and, and lives being tore apart was all over her mind. And let me tell you, she wasn't playing around. She was a yelling and a screaming, Brad! And I can just imagine Mary and Joseph saying, where is Jesus? And they just start going up, just like Vicky went up and said, where, have you seen this little, this little boy, this little blonde-haired boy, have you seen him? Where is Jesus? Oh, my goodness, we've lost God. Where is God? 
Where's Jesus? So they were frantic. It's not a, a little fairy tale story. They were frantic at what's taking place. It's things that happen in our lives. Just like Vicky was frantic. Where'd she find you at, Brad? Yeah, that don't surprise me. That don't surprise me. Was you wanting Air Jordans at the time, or was he even around at the time? I don't know. Anyway, she found Brad, and everything was okay. But for those, I don't know how long he was missing, but for that amount of time, it was a terrible thought going through their minds and everything. And, and you can just imagine Mary after the birth of Christ, and here he is, 12 years old. And, you know, in this, in this time frame, we're going to see the first words from Jesus to mankind. He was speaking to his mom and dad, but it's the first words recorded of Jesus in the Bible. Letters in red. We'll find that in a few minutes in the verses. So they, uh, they find out they're, they're th actually three days out from the walking. And they have to turn around and walk all the way back. Just, just Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine the conversation that Mary and Joseph would have had for losing the Son of God? Can you imagine the conversation they would have had? It would have been a frantic conversation. And they're thinking, where do, where do we look first? I mean, I, there's so-and-so over here. And we, we went shopping over here. And Jerusalem is a, is a large city with, you know, thousands of people. How in the world was he kidnapped? How, how in the world did we let this happen? So all the guilt starts to pour down. So what I'm trying to show you is this not a little thing that's taking place. And a lot of you have a lot of major things going on in your life. They're not, they're not little things taking place in your life. And as they head back into town, they start the frantic search and the questions and start describing what this little boy looks like. Go ahead, please. Do not fail to, adm to admire the beauty of Christmas. It's found only in the centerpiece. Can you imagine that that's what they're thinking? This is the centerpiece. This is God, and we've lost him. Go ahead, please. So when they did not find him, that even tells you the more frantic they are, they did not find him, a 12-year-old boy. They returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after these days, they found him in the temple. In the temple. Now, have we got any 12-year-old boys here today? Tommy, come on up here. Ethan, come on up here. You're both 12. I imagine you guys might be a little bit bigger than Jesus was. I don't know. You guys are pretty big. Now I want to tell you something. I'm going to be truthful with me. If you get lost, are you heading to the church? No. Okay. How about you? No, probably not, right? So you don't really have the mindset that Jesus had because he's, he's God, right? So he's got a different mindset. But I'm going to tell you, he went to the temple because that was his safe place. The, the temple, the church, that was his safe place. And I, I think he would have thought that, well, my mom and dad's gone. I'm going to where I'm safe, and this is where I want to be more than any place else in the world. This is where I want to be. It's full of people. They'll take care of me. And I'm sure my mom and dad will know to come right here. They know who I am. They'll come right here first and find me. Thank you, guys. They'll come right here and find me. It was a safe place. Isn't that wonderful? See, church, church should be your safe place. It should be where you're separate from the world. It's different. It should be a holy place because we are all holy in the Lord. Amen? We come together. The Holy Spirit's within us. 
It's a holy place. It's a different place than any place else in the world. It's different from the shopping mall. It's different from any place in the world. It is set apart and holy. Because Jesus Christ is our centerpiece. If it wasn't for Jesus, it wouldn't be holy. It wouldn't be different. It would be the same as the world. But because he is the centerpiece of the church, it's different. It's our safe place. We come here week after week and Sunday after Sunday and many nights through the week and did a few different ministries for one purpose. To praise and worship our Lord, the Messiah. To, to gain wisdom and knowledge about him. Now, I love you all, but I'm going to be honest and truthful with you. If it wasn't for my centerpiece, I probably wouldn't be here every week. I probably say, well, it's good to see Bill, but I'll see him next month maybe. Be like the Lions Club or, or the PTA or something. I may go, may not go. Of course, that's the way church is with a lot of people too, you know. But see, it is the centerpiece. He is, and that's the reason we come. When Brooke and Rory and, and, and Josh and the rest of them get up here and Cole and Brandon and all the singers, Kelly and Jacqueline and Becky and Brent and Sandy, and they all get up here and they sing their hearts out. Don't you feel the Holy Spirit? Don't you know it's different than a, than a concert of, of that rap stuff or whatever? And I'll tell you, I don't get no goosebumps when I'm listening to rap because, well, to be honest with you, I never listen to rap. I don't get no goosebumps when I'm listening to country music and I'll be honest, I don't listen to country music. I don't care. I, I, I like all of a sudden that stuff's good, but, but I, I like... The gospel and the worship of our Lord. It, it moves me to understand that he is more of a centerpiece than ever before. It has a movement in my life. I enjoy it. I enjoy it because my life changed. And Jesus is the centerpiece. And all who heard, let me see, in verse 46, now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, I'll be honest with you, I like Tommy and Ethan real well, but I doubt if uh, some of us men got together, if uh, Mike back there or Chris back there or Bill or, or Brent and, or Earl, if we got together and we started talking about the Word of God, especially the Old Testament, if we really got going in the Old Testament, I really doubt Ethan and Tommy would hang around very long. They'd be going, i got to go to the bathroom. But there was something totally different about this 12-year-old boy than any 12-year-old boy that ever was on the face of the earth before. This 12-year-old boy was God. He understood who he was, he had no mistake about it. He understood it. He knew his mission. He wanted more of who he was. And he loved people talking about his father. Amen? Because he's the centerpiece. And if this young boy he sits amongst these teachers and, and, and leaders, and, and they're just amazed of what he knows and the, 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 the attention span that he gives. Now he's a poor young man. He isn't like some of the some of the other boys in the in the areas that are going to school and, and going to their colleges. He's a boy with, with less means. His family has less means. So he was a boy that would be working more than being taught. But yet somehow this 12-year-old boy had wisdom and knowledge far beyond his age. 
And all who heard him were astonished. That word astonished is a, is a power word. I mean, it's like, wow. It's like when you, when you saw that lambing up there a while ago, it's like, wow. What, who is this sitting here with us? And his understanding and answers. So in verse 48, so when they saw him, they were amazed at his mother and said to him, son, why have you? Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And of course they did. But as I said earlier, Jesus was in this safe place. And I would imagine he thought that they would have known to come right there first. In verse 49, and this is Jesus, <clears throat> he says, and, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Now remember the question I asked you in Matthew? When Jesus asked, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? And Jesus asked, this is his first words, why did you seek me? Now I'm going to take that and I'm going to flip that just a little bit here. Why, did you, why, did you, why are you seeking Jesus? Are you seeking him at all? Now I know his parents want to find him. But why did you seek me? Did you not know? And he'll talk about this as he, as when he turns 30 and gets into his ministry. He'll use these phrases like this over and over. He says, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, this never left him. It would be with him later into life. Because when God is the centerpiece of your life, it does not leave you. Amen? You know it's there. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was, a, he was a, a polite young man. He went home with him. He was an obedient young man. He never sinned from the time he was in that, in that manger to the time he died. He never sinned. He led a perfect life. And they give us a, a glimpse of him at age 12. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' youth. We know from the time he was born to maybe about two years old, three years old, somewhere in that time frame. And then we don't hear anything again until 12. And then we won't hear anything again until about age 30. That's when the Jews started their ministry at age 30. So then he went down with them. He came to Nazareth and was subject to them. In other words, he was obedient. Now listen to me, children, you 12-year-olds. You're to be respectful of your parents. Amen? You're to be obedient. You're to follow the Lord just like Jesus did. He followed what his father told him to do, to be respectful. One of the things that really upsets me about young people today, and it, it don't start at little kids, they're, they're gathering them on up here. They don't respect people anymore. We don't respect each other anymore. And if we're to follow Christ, and He's the centerpiece of our life, we respect people. Amen? We respect them in the way we look at them, in the way we answer them, in the way we, we talk to them. We respect them. Verse 30, 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and statute. He grew up. He grew up. And in favor with God and what? Favor with God and men. He grew up and no matter what, I don't know what his age was going on here, but we know from the scriptures that no matter what he was doing, he was the one people were paying attention. He was the leader. You know, today we have leaders and followers, and there's a lot more followers than leaders. Well, I can tell you without a doubt, he was always the centerpiece. He may not have been the, the six-foot-six basketball player. He may not have been the, the, the handsome young king in the, in the uh, uh, homecoming, but he was still 
the centerpiece. Amen? Now, I don't know where you're at with God. I really don't. Come on up, Brooke. But I know this is a time of year that we can grow close to God as any time of year. But this time of year, I plead with you to make Him the centerpiece of your life. There's things that you may have to change. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian. Well, I can tell you, there may be things in your life that, that God wants you to say, is that what the centerpiece would like for you to be? Don't, is there things you need to change in your life that makes me more of the centerpiece of your life? And Jesus increased in wisdom and statute and in favor with God and men. Challenge for the week. Don't just believe in your belief. Don't just believe in your belief. This time of year, I hear it, man, over and over again. Oh, I believe. I believe. You believe in your belief. I got you. I want you to go beyond. Don't believe just because in your belief. Believe something more powerful than just what you want to believe. People can believe in anything, and they do. The centerpiece is something so much more powerful than just a belief. I believe it so much that, I've, that I have determined my eternity on it. Amen? My eternity is rested on the centerpiece. People always say, I believe in God. But yet they never do anything for God. They never spend any time with God. They just want to believe in some kind of belief. Well, you go have fun with that one. And Satan will just pat you on the back all the way. There's something deep out there. It's called the Messiah. Believe in him. Believe in him. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believe in him. Believe in the truth. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't just believe in your belief, belief this Christmas. But look at the radiance of the centerpiece. Amen? Look at who he is. Look at the creation. Look at who he is. Look at for thousands of years we have worshipped this Lord. He's not faded away. He's not a, a, a man that this fades away with time. He's a man that never traveled more than a few hundred miles in his life. Never owned a camel. Never fought a battle. Never was a king or, or, or a general. He was pretty much a homeless man. He was nothing to look upon. But yet, we celebrate his birth still because he is the centerpiece of humanity and creation. Amen? And he's proved it to you over and over again. As we go through the Christmas story and this history of Christmas the next couple of weeks, remember that he is your centerpiece. Amen? And if he's not, he can be. Let's stand.
open up the tables. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, these tables are open for you. It's communion. It's what we do in remembrance of who he is. The, the body and the blood. We come before him and we ask forgiveness if we've got things going on in our life. We, it's not to, to beat us up, but it's to enjoy who he is in our lives. It's to get closer to him. And this altar is usually full on Sundays. People always wanting to get things straightened out with God. You know, I've had a week, I had an attitude this week, and Vicky kept saying, boy, there's something wrong with your attitude. Yeah, it stunk. You know, but I can always go and say, Lord, forgive me for having a bad attitude. I try not to have a bad attitude in front of people, but it seems like when I get in front of Vicky, I can have a bad attitude. Husbands, you know what I mean? Not so much to her, but just about everything. And I've got to get forgiven for that. I don't mean to have a bad attitude. I don't mean to, you know, be nasty and stuff. And so I get on my knees and I pray and say, Lord, forgive me for not being, lo for not being loving. People don't need my attitude. They get that everywhere they go. You know, you come in and mock, not come in. Pastor, come in. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> ah, sit down there and hurry up. We're like that more than we need to be, amen? We're like that more than we need to be. You know what I'd like to, I'm not God, I'm just a, just a foolish guy, really. But I fell in love with that baby Jesus. I fell in love with that Jesus on the cross. I fell in love with that Jesus, the Savior that came out of that tomb. I fell in love with him. He'd become a, a man or, or he became personal to me he became a, a relationship to me not a not God far off in the distant but a God right here with me and then I understand that I've got a cross inside me that makes up my whole body That's why I could know him so well. Because he wants to me to know him. Have a relationship with him. A more powerful relationship than anyone else in the anyone or anything. A relationship that is fulfilling. That fills every need I've got. And every time I take him out of the centerpiece of my life, you can just feel like it's breaking his heart. He says, put me back in the center, Paul. Put me back in the center. Sometimes it's reluctant and I'm, I'm reluctant to do it. And then I suffer and then others suffer around me because of it. Then when I get him back in the center, my life changes so much. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. The radiance of who he is becomes who you are. And people take notice. And you help change a life. People say, what do you have that I don't have? He's called Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David. And you can have him. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I know there's people here that don't quite understand all these things. Father, but your grace and your love overpowers all weaknesses. Father, and I'm asking you today as those 
blind men cried out, Father, and they screamed out for help. That you help us. That you help us understand that you are the centerpiece of all things. And as we go through this next few weeks, Father, that our lives will show your glory. And that maybe just one life will come to you for eternity. Father, bless us, Father, that we may bless you back. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come before the Lord this morning and enjoy the centerpiece of your life.